attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Jeff Kaplan. Jeff Kaplan, current Ojibwa staff man, former Ojibwa staff man, and former Ojibwa camper. Cappy and I sat down for a fascinating conversation with some very enlightening stories. I think you're going to get a big kick out of some of those. Before we get to that, just letting you know, BPS just wrapped up. The guys just got off the grounds maybe maybe an hour or two hours ago. Another fantastic weekend. The guys had a great time. There must have been 130, 140 guys here. Amazing camaraderie. Great fellowship, just, you know, this is the ninth time they've done it, and guys who never came to camp are just totally camp guys. It's everything we talked about in the roundtable from last week. It's It just, everyone there has such a love for this place and getting to take part in this incredible program and do it as brothers in the most magical place on earth. So kudos to Todd Hayden, Wolreich, all the crew, even the old guys, Darren, you get a little love. It was a great weekend. Congrats all around. Okay, enough of that. Here we go. Jeff Kaplan on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. One opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted. One moment that you capture just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous. But on the surface, for the record, yes. state your name and years at camp. My name is Jeffrey Kaplan. I've been at Camp o- I went to Camp Ojibwa for 13 summers, six as a camper, seven as a staff man. This summer will be my 14th summer. Nice. After a 15-year hiatus. It's quite a quite a comeback. Very excited no pressure. about it. What years are those? What are the dates? I started in 1987. I went all the way through 1998. And then I think I took, or 99, I took a year off or two. Came back for one year, I think 2001, which was the one year, Chris, that you right. actually skipped. You were there 2000 and then maybe 2002. I missed you yeah. in that one That's summer. That's we figured out that we crisscrossed We there. crisscrossed, yes. Um so that was one that that was the other summer I came back and nice. and then fifteen years have flown by. <laughs> I I see you've went through puberty and sure, your beard finally, looks great. Finally. <laughs> so eighty seven, you're right there at the beginning of the new era. I think it was Danny's second second year as a director. Yeah, for sure. So do you get a camp visit? I mean I did. Let's I, talk, a, I, sh- I guess I should ask first. Is do you have family history at camp? I did I do not actually. I have an interesting history with camp though, or with I should say the North Woods. So Camp um, was a big part. My parents grew up in, in 
in Brooklyn on the East Coast, and mm. they were they camp was a big part of their lives when they were growing up. So I was going to camp. That's just the way it was. And, and they the, went to like uh, the they East went Coast to camp camps out, exactly. up there. Sure. So I'm the youngest of four, two older sisters and an older brother. My older brother's six years older than I am, and they sent him. They didn't know anything about any of the camps. They sent him to Camp Menominee. Oh, wow. I was, I think, seven years old when he went his first summer. I stayed home. And the next summer, because I was his younger brother, I went to Camp Menominee in 1986. Wow. Had the worst summer (laughs) of my life. Not trying to rip on Camp Menominee. It's not Menominee's fault, necessarily. Exactly. It probably (laughs) was me. Um, But at the same time, it might have been them. Um, So uh, it's interesting, you know, that, that... I really did have a bad summer and I came home and, and, um, my mom looked into the other camps and I did have a camp call to get back to that question that you asked. And then he came over nice, and he, uh, he brought in, I believe it was a tape, a VHS tape. We sat down in the living room with my parents and he, he, (laughs) you know, I was, I, I remember being just like very excited about the way it looked and, sure. you know, had a different feeling. It was not like I had a bad summer and I didn't want to go back to camp. I just wanted to go have a good summer somewhere. Right. So um, the camp call ended and I had sleepover plans with a friend of mine who lived about two blocks away from where Denny lives. Nice. And I mean, I just met this strange man at the time <laughs> who just came into my house sure. and he's like, come on, I'll give you a ride to your buddies. And I got into Denny's car and he drove me over to my friend, David Goldberg and That's awesome. they, I slept over at his house and then went to camp that summer. The next summer actually then recruited David Goldberg and a couple of my other friends. And then my mom actually became the, if your son is thinking about going to Menominee or Ojibwa, call Jane Kaplan. Wow. And she should have taken a broker's fee <laughs> for every, I can, I, I'm telling you the truth, Chris, she was on the phone Hours on end through the off season with parents telling them that's amazing. And I know she she definitely uh, she she was a, she was a good recruiter. She was that's a very awesome. good recruiter, and we yes. needed it at the time. No doubt the about new it. Era, trying to get new kids into camp, trying to get camp full again. Yeah, no for doubt sure. about it. And it's interesting because I just heard that like the uh, the cabin thirteen kids now have been going forever. Um, together, three different cabins, right? And they're now converging, and that's the exact same way it was. With my age group, we yeah. started in cabin three, four, and five, went all the way up, all the way. They had they had to put 14 into place because they started running out of room. Nice. So you guys, well, we'll get to 14. Okay. Um, but uh, who are those guys? Who are your guys in that group? So Josh Walreich, Stuart Cairo, um, goodness, Jason Merrill came along a little bit uh, later on board. There were, way back in 1987... Um, the Fox twins, Corey and Ryan Fox, uh, Corey's son is going to be at prep camp this summer. Wow. Um, nice. his twin brother, Ryan was my, uh, excuse me. Corey was my bunk mate. Uh, Stu Cairo is not only the commissioner of the Thursday night basketball league here in Chicago, but, uh, I was a groomsman at his wedding, nice. you know, and, and we were, we were bunk mates at cabin 13. We were bunk mates in 1987 in cabin five. So just a huge crew of guys. That that could not wait to get back to camp 
the day camp ended. And, and I cannot tell you if you ever wanted to see a group of young adult men crying their eyes out mm. on their last day as campers. We, I mean, we were literally sitting in the mess hall, like savoring the last bite of food. <laughs> it, we, we thought it was going to be this momentous change in life. And it kind of was, it, sure. you know, the switch over from being a camper to a concert. And I know that you came on board as a concert to begin with, but you've seen it obviously at yeah, this point. Sure. And, and I, I still can't really, I can't really say which is better. There's, you know, the grass is always greener, but they, they do say uh, um, that, that be, there's nothing better than being a counselor. But I'd say that the truth is that once your camper days are over, you can never have them back. That's true. So, That's true. You can, well, you can't always, but you can usually find a way to get back to be a counselor if you choose to. I, you know, case in point, I'm yeah. coming back. I remember my first year, uh, Scott Matazar. Yes. It was his 14 season. And the last day, he's down at the uh, new shower house, just crying his eyes out, kicking shit around, throwing benches. And I'm just, and I went down there. I was like, dude, are you okay? Like, I just didn't get it yet. It was my first year at camp, and I just didn't understand. It. And no one else was really going through that the way he was. Yes. So I just totally didn't get it. And he's just like, I'm cool, man. Just leave me alone. I, I'm good. I'm good. You know. And then after a little time, I was like, oh. I get it. Now, and, now I totally understand. Now, on the last day of camp yeah. every year, you have your own little temper tantrum, I'm sure. I, <laughs> I, I can hear it. I get the joy of being, I'm there through post, and sure. then I'm there after we get rid of most of the kitchen staff. So I'm kind of the last, I'm the last, I guess, seasonal guy who leaves. So when I leave, it's just John who stays here. As I've been loyal to your podcast and this whole history project, which is incredible, of course. I've heard, I remember hearing you say, it's time, during one of the podcasts, time to pull the boats out of the water. Absolutely. Everybody's leaving today. That's it. It was so. great. I go down on the dock, and everything's pulled in, and I put down a little chair and have a, have a last cigar looking at the lake as the sun goes down for that last time because those incredible sunsets. And that's how I say goodbye to camp. And then early the next day, off you go. There you go. It's amazing. And you still do it every year, and you'll get to do it again. You're getting – I mean, this is a real gift. You get got, to go up early. i got the chills right late. now. I've had, them, I've had them for a long time. Nice. They keep coming back, so – I cannot wait. So you get to camp. You're a young camper. You're making new friends. You're loving it. What brings you back to camp? So you had a bad summer at Menominee. What turns? What are the things that make it a good summer at Ojibwa? Well, I remember Denny was definitely, he was fresh, young, ripe, just like he is now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he brought a, you know, a, a real energy. Um, I remember there was just a certain, I think the, the number of kids at camp at the time which was probably about 150-ish, mm -hmm. a little more, give or take. Um, it was just like a perfect, uh, it was just a perfect mix. And, and the way really, I think one thing that I know I've heard on, on some of the podcasts, of course, but um, you hear all the time, the way that Ojibwa is set up with the, the, the cabins all next to each other like that. And there's just such a cohesiveness that when you walk out your front door and directly to your left might be one age group and to your right might be another, might yeah. be your best friends either way. So, you know, at Menominee, for example, the cabins were spread out all over the place and mm. you, there just wasn't that same cohesiveness. So I think there was a certain energy and, and you know, the way that, that camp ran, um, especially, you know, collegiate week, the leagues, and I, I'm an athlete, competitive, and loved that part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and then... What, what you hear all the time, the staff was incredible. Um, my counselors were great. And, and I remember, I mean, I remember going through camp year by year and wanting to come back every year along with all my friends, first and foremost, because of the staff. Yeah. 
that's why we come back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing we tell every staff guy and, and we all live by it. It's, you know, we want every kid to make one, one friend. And we want every kid to have the greatest summer they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And we've got all the tools. I mean, we're already in the greatest place ever. So it's not too hard. You just have to. <laughs> just got to show up. You got to really just show up. That's uh, it. And they're going to love it. That's it. That's awesome. I, I totally agree. The way those cabins work, you know, there's nothing like second period of the day before lunch, a peach softball game on diamond one going into like the 45th inning and nothing else is happening at camp. So suddenly every person in camp is there watching the peach league guys. It's funny you say that because <laughs> I almost brought with me, but I, I, I left it at home. Some of the plaques I know were, were taken down and moved around for extra space and 1987 peach league, Austin P governors of the champions. I was co-captains with my, College roommate, actually, former college roommate, Matt Evans, nice. um, who was another gentleman who went to Ojibwe along the way, all the way through. We were co-captains on that team, and it was a Peach League championship where just exactly what you just described happened. Nothing else was going on, right. and you feel like you're playing in the majors. <laughs> totally. And that's how totally. I remember it. I remember making the last out of the game and catching that ball and winning it and, and thinking that, you know, we had just won the World that Series. That was it. That was the biggest thing biggest ever. Biggest deal ever. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So you're a sports guy. You come in as a sports guy. Are you, what's your, what's your main sport? What's your favorite coming in? My, my main sport was always soccer. Actually, oh, interesting. truthfully, I was a soccer guy at home, but I would say up at camp there's back in my day, at least 16 inch and basketball, both as I've heard in a lot of podcasts and basketball eventually took over as being, you know, really the marquee sport. But when I first started, Softball and 16 inch was, you know, be, hit, hitting the 16 inch the first time where you, you know, you, you just, <laughs> it feels different. You feel like yeah. you've, you know, you've, you've gone through puberty, you've become a man <laughs> now that you can play, you're, you're without a glove. And Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a mixture of all those things. And I loved them all. I loved every, you know, all the sports. It was like, there were, there were guys that definitely dreaded having to go out and play soccer on Farfield sure. three. I, I couldn't wait to do it. I, I was going to um, say, so it was, it was a league sport then. It was a league sport then. And I, all ages or just the younger guys? Um, it was at all ages, even nice. the majors, even the older guys played. Um, but I would have to say that my favorite sport up at camp um, the biggest sport might have been basketball, but my favorite sport was was floor hockey. And it oh, was before the rink existed. We used oh. to play on the tennis courts, which I believe the surface is a lot smoother, so the puck would <laughs> glide better. Okay, sure. And um, I just remember I, I just absolutely loved floor hockey. And nice. I think part of it was also because, like, my parents wouldn't let me play ice hockey. Okay. I thought it was yeah, too dangerous, enough. so well, I, I loved floor hockey. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I can definitely see some advantages to playing on the tennis court. I, I Listen, it's not my decision to make, but if you're going to make a, a hockey rink, maybe asphalt's not exactly the right surface. But, you know, what do I know? At, you know I'm at, not a rink builder. And how's this? At, at, I know I, I, I'd already loved it, but in, in 1987, Trojan Spartan, there was a Trojan Spartan staff hockey game under the lights on the lake courts. Bench clearing brawl. Of course. Then he jumped in the middle. <laughs> of course. Stopped the game. Game ended. That was the last ever staff hockey game ever played. <laughs> and uh, life goes on. That's fair. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Uh, hockey always provides the best highlights that I can't put on the video to go home. There you go. But you get to see it in, <laughs> but you get to in see the it. live the moment. Get to see there it and, you then go. We, and then we put it away. So that's great. So you come, now what about the other things that aren't the sort of marquee sports? What about like the, um, I don't know, your rec sports sure. or your waterfront stuff? The waterfront is obviously, anybody would tell you, the most underrated probably thing at, at camp. I mean, I, I actually was huge into kneeboarding. Nice. I was huge into tubing, both. 
Um, and, and was loves, kneeboarding pretty new at camp at that time? Yeah, at the time, yeah, back then, back in the late. Because that feels like a Rosen era change. Yes, yeah. but late eighties, early nineties, definitely. Um, and we used to have like water ski shows at camp. Um, oh right, like the Monaco Bats. Exactly, yeah. but but we did it just internally, like camp the Camp Ojibwe uh, water ski show. We didn't go watch them. I mean, we did do that as well. We'd go watch the Monaco Bats do the professional show, but we had a Camp Ojibwe water ski show. That's cool. Um, back in the day, yes. Until one camper, um, Gary Siegel, I love you. You know that you were on trick skis, and it was a tough, tough. I think he had a tough fall, and that was the end of uh, the water ski show. <laughs> but you know, all good things must come to an end. Sure, sure. Um, Hopefully, the injury wasn't too bad. Yes, um, <laughs> and not to totally jump off off point or off key, but I know one thing because, as I said, I'm a loyal listener. That you do ask is you always ask. Did you get a camp call? And then what's your first memory? Oh, sure. And my first memory was getting on the bus um, to camp. And I just remember I, was, I had that nervous excitement and that nervous, like, waving goodbye to mom and dad who were outside the bus and, and whatnot. And the first guy that sat down next to me had this big box of candy my mom had bought me. And I opened up the box of candy, and then this, this guy sits down next to me, and he's got this Oakland Athletic starter jersey uh, buttoned up. Long hair down to his shoulders, older older guy, already had some scruff. You know, he was a camper, obviously, though. I didn't know what it was. And he just looks over at me and he goes, is that, is that your box of candy? And I said, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was in my lap. It, sure. Yes, it's my box of candy. You, you mind if I jump in on some of that candy? <laughs> uh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> By the way, my name is Darren J. Annixter. <laughs> and that was honestly the first person I met. And Chris, I'm here right now, sitting here talking to you, coming from uh, coming from from just being with Darren at his office. He's my boss right now. So. Nice, that's awesome. Pretty and crazy. The, uh, the impression is pretty spot on. Thank you very that's much. Very solid. I actually <laughs> I knew before you got there. I was like, I see where this is going. That's great. I, I, I got into some trouble. There's a website called Bluff My Call, <laughs> and I have I had I I was on a streak where I was calling other people in Darren's voice, and unfortunately got cut off at one point. Uh, the call <laughs> dropped, and that person. David Arbach, I love you too. You know that. Um, he was totally, you know, we were immersed in a three-minute conversation. He thought he was talking to Darren. Sure. Call drops. And um, he called Darren's house line back. And it was like 1030 <laughs> on a school night. And I get an email at 6 a.m. the next morning from Darren's subject. Um, please, you know, please stop. And the the emails just very short text said you you know I love you like a son but if I ever find out you make another phony phone call in my voice I will never speak to you again and that was the end of the invitation amazing yes amazing. so I'm glad to do it here but this is a safe place this is totally. a safe zone and I know that Darren from being in the office every day he he's only listened to one podcast and that was the one that he spoke on so I'm not worried he's even gonna hear this that's that amazing. Amazing. That's totally my first memory, man. Yeah. That, that's incredible. First person I met. Nice. So when you came to camp, did you have any other friends? You said that some of your friends got recruited the next year, but did you have friends that first year? Yeah, I, I had friends. Um, you know, so Stuart Cairo is a name I bring up. He's still one of my best friends of the day. Um, you know, I knew a lot of these guys, but they didn't necessarily, they didn't go to, I went to Indian Trail was my elementary school. They might have they went to Red Oak or they went to Lincoln or mm-hmm. wherever they were. So I didn't I knew who they were because we were in some community sports or whatever together, but I didn't know them well. And so I became very close with guys like uh, you know, guys that were my cabin mates, and that's when you get into your school friends 
and then you all of a sudden have this crew of camp friends. Right. And it's just, it's such a different bond and a different thing that you really only can, as I've heard you say, as I've heard Denny say, and it is the absolute truth. You can't, you can't describe it. You have to feel it. Yeah. And being, you know, being in that cabin. Yeah. Like for example, Stuart, who I went to school with was in the cabin, but guys like Brandon Nagler, Graham Palmer, you know, guys that you, that you see now that have kids that are going to camp. Right. Um, which is such a trip for me, um, that I became close with, uh, that, that I wouldn't have become close with otherwise just by doing the community sports back in Highland Park or Deerfield or whatever. And, um, and then camp just started to grow from, you know, that first year, like you were, you and I were saying before, it was Danny's early run. His second year started to branch out. You got kids from LA coming in, Arbach represented Texas and, and uh, the friendships just, started to span across across the nation and then you got the counselors coming in from from australia and israel and guys like tamir that everyone's still in touch it's incredible to become a worldwide thing and yeah and it's such a powerful thing it really is and the benefit too once you hit the mid-90s of starting to have the internet and starting to be able to email absolutely eventually social media but even just the beginning just being able to email was like oh my god absolutely game changer i will say it is a game changer chris but there's another side to that that I'm that I think shouldn't be a part of camp hmm. or that it, it is, of course, phenomenal that you can email a guy like Tamir in Israel. But something there's something I think that's lost in the art of a handwritten letter. Hmm. For example, Pony Express. Sure. If you liked a girl at Miramita every day, you didn't have to put a stamp on the envelope. You could write a letter and the camp shopper would go to Miramita, pick up the mail from them give the mail from us nowadays these guys are texting or whatever else and so i think there's something to be said for that era of when we didn't even have the option it wasn't available to us and so you missed guys that much more because you couldn't communicate with them as regularly and when you got that time with them just up at camp it was that much more special for that reason yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense i still to this day the only handwritten letters i ever write are at camp and I'll pick two, a couple days of the season to go out and just write some letters and send them out, mostly because I want mail back. But, you know, to be honest. <laughs> and it's funny. Nothing like camp mail. There's nothing like mail, period. But I agree. <laughs> there's, camp mail is always good mail because you're probably not getting your bills sent to you there. Right, exactly. But regardless, <laughs> I, and I'll say it right now, a month before camp starts, that I will be handing my phone in day one. I'm, pl- I'm not planning. I'm, I will not be using my telephone at all wow. throughout the summer. Don't. Wow. Don't want it. Bold. Didn't have it then. Don't want it now. Nice. And for anybody that's listening out there that's at camp this summer, I hope that you you join in on the uh, on, on the movement that I'm trying to make. Nice. That's it. Hashtag no phones. Hashtag no phones. All right. I like this. All right. Camp. Yes. Let's talk about the Braves. Are you a member? Of, are you a proud member of the camp? Proud member. I proud <laughs> member of the Braves. Proud proud member as a warrior. Actually, got what my was, warrior watch. What was the process like? So I it was it was part of that transitional phase exactly right and um, there was definitely from what I'm from what I understand there was a lot more hazing if you will before my time um, when I became a brave it was more we went into town we cleaned we cleaned the camp we got quizzed on you know we had to study a little bit about the history. Granted, we didn't have near as much knowledge as we do now because of you. Sure. Um, but, we, you know, it, there was there was a sense of 
um, you know, a, a sense of showing, you know, your commitment, love and loyalty to camp to earn the respect of being honored to become a brave. And, and, you know, it was a very serious thing when you got put on silence, you didn't talk. And if yeah. you did talk, you suffered the consequences, whatever they may be. Um, I was just with a, 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 a friend of mine who was in cabin 13 when I was in cabin five, my first summer in, in 1987. Um, Richard Blueberry Friedman, great, great man. Nice. And um, I will, after the first powwow we had that summer, and they said, you go back to your cabins. Once you're back at your cabins, you're off silence, but just, you know, be respectful. And we got back to the cabin, and Danny Lieb, Decided to open the front door and just scream as loud as he could. And within seconds, Blueberry was at the front door. And we'll just say Danny Lee might have had a hard time breathing and got the wind knocked out of him somehow. <laughs> and the counselors kind of just watched and said, you know, next time, don't <laughs> scream out loud when you get back to the cabins. And you learned your lesson. Sure. That was the end of it. Allegedly. 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 These things happen. Uh, these, are, these are, again, it's fuzzy. I can't, you know, it's a long time ago. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Blueberry, if you would like to come on these very mics and defend yourself, please. Please do. Out. Please do. I love you, Blueberry. You know that. That's awesome. The Braves. Now, as we all know, there is one, uh, there's one sporting event that is arguably bigger than any other sporting event in the world. There, you got your World Series, you got your World Cup, but nothing is Collegiate Week at Camp Ojibwe. Sure. Let's talk about your history with Collegiate Week. Do we have to? Because <laughs> I was there for 13 years and I never won. Oh. I came in second place my potential year. Okay. Um, That's not it's terrible. Not, it's, it's not bad, and at the same time, it's the worst. There's, you know, if you're not first, you're last, as Ricky Bobby f- famously sure. once said or his father and i agree um but it's it's you know again just not to get off collegiate we'll get it, get right into it but it's funny my my potential year my coach that picked me was also my counselor john goodman and uh goody's son i just got off the phone with yesterday zach who's z goody who's gonna be a, a camper up there and that you know his kids are all now campers are counselors excuse me z goody will be a counselor yep. and it's just it's so awesome how you know, just it's life is really coming full circle in such a beautiful way. Yeah, but for sure. back to the intensity and, and whatnot of Collegiate Week. Um, so I never won it, like I said. Um, but it, it was also in the transition. I don't think I've, I've heard anyone say this on a podcast yet. Collegiate Week was the sixth week of camp mm. when I first right. started. And um, after Collegiate Week was over, you would resume leagues for the last two weeks or week and a half. So weird. And it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> I'm sure for you, it's weird for me too, to now think like collegiate week is the climax of camp, the announcement of who wins it. And then it's, you get that, you know, last whatever, 16 or 18 hours or day, whatever it is to right. just unwind, say your goodbyes, pack up, clean up, whatnot. It's hard to think. I can't even remember what it was like. They announced that winner. Everyone goes nuts. And then the next day you wake up and you're back in the <laughs> leagues right? Uh, for another right. two weeks. So, you know, it was, it was definitely another part of the transition that that in Denny's era has, has moved. And I think it was a great a great call because it really is, as you see and you know, there's nothing like Collegiate Week on this earth. And once that last day is is up, you're you know, that means it's, it. it's it's time. Yeah, it's, it's time. Yeah, I don't know that we've talked about it, but the the idea for them, the Schwartzes wanted it sixth week because they felt like if for the kids who didn't win that they didn't want them to go home on a bad note. Sure. And you, 
you know, you get back into leagues, you get back into the routine and you wouldn't do that. Whereas Denny and, and Elliot realized it doesn't matter if you win. I mean, it's great if you win, but no first place, last place, everybody's going to talk about the week all year long. Who cares? It's great. You go, if you lost, okay, that's fine. You're going to go home and talk about it. You're going to come back next year and do it again. Absolutely. So they realized that they could put the switch in that. And then also realized too, that in doing so you created even more excitement for 100%. it. And now it really is like the week's done. He announces the thing. Everyone just passes out. That's it. Yeah, that's so, it. And it's funny. My, I still am very close. Another name of a kid who started coming, I believe in 1988, Andrew Kraft, another one of my best friends, um, still to the day. Uh, he was my second round pick in my my potential year, and um, he's actually watching my dog this summer while I'm up at camp. Nice, which is very nice of him. Yes, but you know, it's funny we still talk about when you were picked and what team you were. <laughs> I mean, you you were just the camp memories of you know people talk about it. I think in reference a lot to the plaques and they. They see the plaques, so they see a lot of names from way back. For example, sure. Alfie, Alfie Trasky now is, of course, at camp all the time and has been there for the last 15 years that I haven't. But he was there, um, I think, for two or three years as in my last two or three years. Right, he had just come back. Yes, I remember I, I, as a coach, I argued with him a lot on Diamond One, which sure, you were course. lucky, I think, actually, that we crisscrossed and missed <laughs> each other because maybe we wouldn't be as, as friendly have, as we I'll are now. I Victor to argue with on There Diamond you go. Well, exactly. Yeah, so, then I'm very sorry for you. <laughs> But we go, and if he didn't mention, he was the 1-1 in 1994. Oh, yes, I, I think, think I, I heard him say that once yeah. on his <laughs> podcast. Um, what he forget, forget, failed to mention was that in 1992, uh, or 1991, he was the 3-4, the, the, the first pick of his age group. And then in 1992, he dropped eight picks to my team when I was a first-rounder as the 1-12. <laughs> and I still razz him and say... We took you 4-1, first pick in the fourth round. And he's, he likes to argue with me that we took him as the 12th pick in the third round, <laughs> as if there's a difference. Either way, I think, like I said, I remember he was the 1-1 in 94 because he might have mentioned it. But either way, uh, we still uh, love you, Brett. You know that. Um, we, you know, we still talk about – we still talk about games that took – I mean, you just – you have those memories that, that um, they're so vivid, at, you know, the, the – Camp is such a Eagle River in general, but mm. but the campgrounds, I, I, as I'm talking about it right now and picturing it in my mind, it, it is in such vivid color. Everything, um, even the you know the black and white of camp when it's thunderstorming is so black and white, and when the when the sky is dark, it's it's pitch black, and the, the stars are white. They're they're so bright white. Yeah. Um. And, and when the grass is the campus last summer, I'd never seen it look so good. It was just yeah. so lush, and and it's so, so vivid in in just the way that it looks. The memories, same way. Even if you do remember, you remember you were a little stronger, or better than you. Said, sure. Everybody's That's like part that. of it, of course. But you know, the the I think you know you you remember things about camp differently um, and more vividly than your other memories that you have in life. Yeah, because it's so isolated and it's just such a, a such an electrifying place. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about collegiate week, I have to imagine that you have one or two stories about stunt night. Because I have to imagine that you probably were pretty good on the stage, would be my guess. That's nice of you to say. As a, I, as a, that would be my assumption as, as a, a theater, theater guy. guy. Wow. That's what I would see. So you tell me if I'm wrong. Well, I, I like to, I, I would like to humbly say that I did win stunt night um, more 
as a coach. I was a mm. much better stunt writer than stunt performer. Okay. I do like to perform. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> see, there is a guitar in the room. Sure. Um, I wrote the first ever stunt. The entire thing rhymed. Oh. Um, that took a first place. My biggest adversary or my biggest, the, the, the toughest guy I, I remember who I was always up against, his name was Lee Bagan, mm. who famously went on to do huge things in, in the Army. And, and I know there's a, a, an American flag hanging in the mess yeah. hall on his behalf. Um, and I love the Bagans. Um, and, and I and will say that Lee Bagan is, is known for writing arguably the modern era best stunt ever. Abs- absolutely. Now, I would argue <laughs> that the first ever rhyme, all rhyming stunt, in my opinion, it was a breakthrough. It won stunt night. Sure, I can imagine. Um, so I, I definitely had, I, I, I had a, a couple really good, good ones that I wrote. Um, I did have one or two that bombed, but I will say the most memorable stunt was that 92-year uh, guy, a gentleman that you're going to be interviewing, Seth Marks, was the coach of our team. His brother... Um, one of his brothers was a writer out in LA and as people like people from Ojibwa are very resourceful in, in terms of their ability to outsource, <laughs> Seth was not going to write the stunt. Sure. He called his brother or he, whatever he did, he got in touch with his brother. Next thing you know, we have a stunt written up. It was performed beautifully, executed to perfection, <laughs> but it was a little racy. Oh, and there I were see. some judges out there, oh, I'm not sure. going to mention any names, <laughs> that didn't take to the, uh, you know, what maybe the rest of camp saw as funny yes. um, or as, you know, okay to have out there. Um, so they, they, they didn't even put us as a place, you know, oh. and we, we ended up dropping all, you know, we didn't win stunt night. But, but to, your, to answer your question... I'm a huge, huge fan of of the Ojibwa stage from stunt night, song night, to even I loved hearing that you brought Cabin Sing back and yeah. things like that. Um, I, I, you know, I I saw David Rosen and Darren's famous kiss. <laughs> I mean, I really did see certain guys um, who who were athletes or who were into other things or who didn't know what they wanted to get into in life. They get on that Ojibwa stage in a packed little house that we call the rec hall. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they, they realize how, you know, how amazing it felt to make 250, you know, kids and adults laugh hysterically. Absolutely. And next thing you know, they become an actor. That's, yeah. that's their history that, or that's their path in life. They come to a sports camp. They think it's going to be this competitive eight weeks of sports and one night on the stage, changes the course of their life yeah. and it's ha- I've seen it happen. Absolutely. And, and you really can't underestimate what the power of, of that thing is because the, the rec hall stage gives permission for the sports kid to, it's okay Abs- to get on the stage absolutely. and embarrass themselves. And there is no field you will get into. I don't care what your business is in the world where being a public speaker or being able to stand in front of a sta- stage and make someone laugh is not a benefit to you. There's no world where that does not pay off down the road. And I would say, and you know this being, you know, being uh, well-versed and in charge, of course, of, of that, that rock hall and, and what happens on that stage, that there are those memorable moments in 1988, my second summer camp um, during collegiate week. One of my best friends still to the day um, who came that summer it was his first summer, Josh Walreich. Uh, two-time Collegiate Week winner, and he was a 1-1 as well, chief of the Braves. Great, great, great young man. Um, 
he had a lot of words in his in mm. his stunt for Michigan. And Darren Anixer was actually the first pick on that team that year. And they were in in the race, in the hunt. And Josh had a song he had to sing called Wally My Love. And he, I, I rehearsed it with him. I was on a different team, but I rehearsed it with him all week. I knew every word to the song. <laughs> and then I watched him up on the stage, and, I, and I've seen the video now. He just froze, and he forgot every word. Mm. And the team ended up losing stunt night, and they didn't win the week. And the, the character's name in the stunt, Darren's character's name in the stunt was Wally, and that's why the song was called Wally My Love. But Josh Walreich became Wally became Wally my love and we still to the day call him Wally my love wow. a lot and <laughs> and it's funny I just saw uh the Ojibwa had a, a little get together went out to the Chicago Wolves game mm, yeah and John Zimring was his head coach was at the game with his son and his family I hadn't seen John in years nice we embraced first words out of my mouth were How'd you give Wally so many words? <laughs> he, we were so young. And he said, I know it was, it was too much responsibility. Nice. You, you just, same way. It's the, the memories are so vivid and you just reconnect and it's yeah. awesome that way. And, and sorry to Josh that he has, has had to have to bear that nickname <laughs> his whole life. But time. at the same time, uh, you know, that stage, that stage can make you or break you in good and bad ways. True story. John's kid is super talented. His, guitar and singing awesome I, you're gonna love seeing that kid awesome he's great i hope uh i hope we keep him because he, he could probably go to a, a music camp or you know a drama camp but hopefully we'll keep him for a while but ojibwa's got the music and drama department we now got we got lou mager coming back there I mean, we go it's gonna be huge there we go it's gonna be huge and it all started with you i believe <clears throat> well, well i shouldn't say it all started with you but you carried the torch i did carry the torch yes. for a few years yes uh, certainly elliot deserves more credit than that uh, so now we're your camper, you're loving every minute of it. You hit that last day and you come back and you're a junior counselor. How's it different? Well, first and foremost, is it different? yes, <laughs> it was different. Cause some guys um, kind of just keep being a camper. Let's be honest. A- absolutely. And there were definitely a fair share who not only came back that summer, but for summers on every summer, they were a counselor. They still could have been considered yeah. a camper, except they just slept on the counselor's porch. Exactly. Um, with that said, I definitely, uh, you know, I looked up to my counselor so much um, year after year, and I wanted to be that guy to my campers, um, to be the guy that was just, you know, looked up to and that they, that when, when camp was coming around on the off season, that when they would call up, they would re- request the staff man that I would be the, the guy that they'd want to have as their counselor. Nice. Um, so I took the job seriously. Um, if that makes sense. Sure. And, um, and and at the same time, uh, you know, still learned and watched. I I remember my senior, you know, my senior counselor, my first year as a junior counselor was Jason Wollen, who's someone I'm still very close friends with. And, you know, when he spoke, I listened like a camper Mm. and still was learning along the way. Um, and, and, and I think that, that it's important, of course, because like we said at the beginning of this, that the staff really is the heart of camp. Um, I, I, I kept going back uh, for the same reason that, again, from before we said, you, you could never really get those years back even as a staff man. Right. And I watched a lot of my friends fall off with internships and whatnot through college. Sure, of course. And I never, ever flinched, never even thought twice I was going back to camp because it was just 
it's in my blood. It was in my blood. Yeah. And it's so good to have back in my blood. I, I, times have obviously changed, but I hope to have the same kind of impact. Yeah, for And sure. I'm still tight with my campers the same way that I'm still tight with a lot of guys that were my counselors. Yeah. One could argue that the, the most uh, powerful bonding time for a staff guy is after they leave the campgrounds for the evening. When yes. they go out and, and look at that smile on your face. <laughs> well, it's true. And I'll be honest with you. you I can mean, see the smile on my brain, right? Even now. for me personally, like, I don't think I really, it took me a little time to fit in. Cause I wasn't an Ojibwe guy and I came in as a staff guy and I don't think I did until I went out and I didn't drink yet. I, I didn't drink till my mid twenties. Now sure. I, I have more than made up for it. Let's be clear. Okay. <laughs> we'll say that right here on this, on these microphones. Let's just but, be honest. But yeah. so since I didn't drink when I first started, I didn't really go out that much because what did I care? I wasn't, you know, sure. In-laws is a lot less fun sober. Sure. I agree. <laughs> the quality of the food is not really why Doesn't you're going taste there. taste the same. No. Tini tacos are not good. No, they're not. Tini tacos have never tasted good. I'm going to say that right here. I would rather eat Alexander's pizza than eat Tini tacos, and everyone knows I despise Alexander's pizza. I, I, I concur is, <laughs> is what I'll say. I will say to that end, you know, it was, it was especially for a guy like me who really didn't go through puberty till probably my junior year of college um sure you know as a high school kid who you know just looked like i was in junior high probably you needed like a note for you didn't even need an id you needed like a <laughs> note from your mom that said my son's 21 let him into the bar right. and i'll never forget the bouncer's name was swamps oh sure and of course. we all had our you know our little whatever fake ids and and we'd go in but you know the truth is, um, we still had those those older staff men that were in the bar with us that were looking after us. Yeah. They were teaching us how to be responsible and not letting it get out of control. And and you know, sure, every once in a while there there some things we get a little out of hand. Um, but with that said, it, it was it was again part of that torch being carried. We had our counselors. They were still kind of like our counselors when mm -hmm. we were out at night watching over us, making sure that, that, that nothing bad happened. Now, forgetting about the bar, because there is a completely different scene, in my opinion. Certainly. Um, that I've, I've, I've always said, everybody in this world needs love, which means that the population of, I think, 1,100 to 1,200 people in Eagle River need the same amount of love that the 5 million in Chicago do. Certainly they do. I don't yes. care what size, shape, or they need love too. And <laughs> you know what? A lot of staff men... They're not willing to give that love. I, I gotta, I'm gonna, we're gonna just be straight up honest here. I am one of those staff men who was always eager and willing to give that love. Sure. Um, so I'll just give one story, but I'm not gonna throw any names out there. I go into the ice cream, the famous ice cream store next to the candy store on the main strip. Sure. Uh, with a, a good friend of mine who was a counselor at the time from Arizona. And um, we met some lovely young ladies who served us some delicious ice, homemade ice cream. And we met up with uh, them, and it, they said they had a third that they were going to bring with mm. uh, later that evening. So Very we nice. said we'd bring a third. And um, we brought that, that third gentleman. You know who you are if you're listening. Um, and uh, the third lady that they brought, I, I say lady, she really could have been of, the, of many different species, land animal or water. Um, but that's the beauty is that everybody needs love. Like sure, I said, sure, sure, sure. so th the wonderful thing was the third gentleman we brought, um, he, he's on board with me and that, 
yes, everyone needs needs love. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we said, what, what do you guys want to do? They said, well, jump in, jump in your car, we'll jump in ours, follow us, you know, just follow us, we'll take you, you know, to our place. We have no idea where we're going. Sure. 15 minutes later, we're driving through the woods, right. literally. No road. That's a, that's a real tough move sometimes with the townie is like, oh, yeah, just follow me to my just place. Follow, right. And you're like, okay. So we have no idea what we're getting right. into. Right. We end up in some clearing. There's a nice trailer in the middle of the woods. Okay. Welcome home. So the six of us get into the trailer. Deck sure. of cards are out on the table. Perfect. And... Um, you're probably not playing for chips or money or anything, well, we, right? We, like, we would have played for chips maybe mm. if we had them, but we didn't have them. We had clothes, so oh, we played for clothes. And um, I think they call it strip poker, sure. but I don't know. We, I'll just say we, we played for clothes. So it, it turns out that the third gentleman that we, we brought with us, I realized after like the first like six hands that he's like down to like his boxers, like... What's going on? <laughs> and I realize he's losing hands on purpose. Oh, I see. So somewhere in the middle of it all, one of the townies says, so real quick, what's the rule on socks? Does socks count as one article or is each sock an individual article of clothing? Fair that's, question. That's great. Townies, yeah. are st- they think. They, you got to get a ruling yeah, sometimes. 100%. And that, that's a legitimate So Elliot, ruling. unfortunately, was unavailable for the ruling. Sure. <laughs> um, we couldn't reach out to him. There were no cell phones back then. We're, we would have called him, of course. Um, so we decided to make a ruling on our own and we said each individual sack. So if you lose, it's not, it's not the pair that you have to take off. You take off one at a time. That's right. Fair. Totally. Fair. So my friend that we had brought along, um, he had his boxers and two socks on. He loses the next two hands. He takes off one sock. And then of course he's going to take off his other sock, but he decides, Oh no, he doesn't like the way his right foot looked. So he took his boxers off. Then he proceeded to not lose another hand. And he just sat in one sock until let's just say things got a little more out of control. Sure. And the night, the night went on. Now the, the third member of that party, um, I, like I said, no names need to be mentioned. Once we get off the record, I think you'll find very, very intriguing, very interesting. <laughs> and if you're up at camp this summer, you just might find out who that person was. Wow. Wow. Stay tuned. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, and, and, and I should say that when we say townie, we really do say it with love. I, oh, I, I, I mean it with absolute yeah. love. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've gone uh, to great lengths to try to become a townie up there in my own way, if I could, you know, so it is not, it's not a derogatory term. No. And with that beard that you're working right now, I mean, listen, I can fit right in. Absolutely. I just have to get a Trump t-shirt and well, I'm set. That or it's like, you know, full <laughs> fatigues, camo- camouflage, true. whatever. Camo. Yeah, we, we, we can get you. We can work a situation <laughs> out, no doubt about it. But the nightlife uh, altogether, I think you know, you you really like. I've heard on many of these podcasts. I mean, you learn so much um, in so many different ways at camp about life, and I think that that it was really a great experience, at least for me, that my first experience at the bar um, or going out, though we were underage, of course. Um, it was still supervised, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it was still supervised, and it, it was, it, it's, it's, it, it, it was, it was your staff that you grew up with still looking out for you like they did when you were a camper, yep. and they did that for us. So. Yeah, it really is definitely another piece of the learning process. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that we endorse underage drinking or whatever, but like that, exactly what you're describing, it's part of it. And also, too, you're looking at those guys and seeing how they're acting there, 100%. and you're learning from that. That guy's walking around like he 
it's not his first time 100%. in the place. He understands how to do it. If you know he's not having 17 shots, whatever it is, you're learning all, all the time from that. Even if you're going and not drinking or whatever, like it's it's all part of the process. So it's just another step that starts at camp and now moves into the whatever the nightlife part of it is. Yes. Even even going to a townie's house. All of these things. 100 <laughs> percent. It's all part of the learning process. 100 percent. And I, I'll say in closing on the nightlife that everybody has their own belief, but if you you know, if you really want to open your mind up and, and learn about yourself, step outside that comfort zone, take a little gander, a little a little walk into town. You never know what it might turn into. Nice. A, a one sock, clothing only, or clothing optional, I should say, poker tournament. It, it really was a night to remember. Truly, words to yes. live by. <laughs> so you're there as a staff man, you're a junior counselor, you're a senior counselor. Uh, do you have guys who are your campers who you really connect with like guys you're probably still close with sure absolutely um todd hayden who you know is still still obviously very active with with camp uh was my camper he was my co-counselor still like a younger brother to me as i said i have an older blood related of course brother six years older than me i'm six years older than todd um his crew harry matthews uh zach fishman matt abels mm. who i'll be going to his wedding this uh fall in in michigan nice um and that's you know all the part of it is is guys like Darren and Goody and you know they pass the torch to us but we're still in touch with them and still working for them and still you know just just love to hear from them and be in touch with them as often as we are uh the kids from my age group I really took like I said from from day one took to that and and established that bond with 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 that age group especially with yeah. Todd's age group especially nice it's been awesome yeah nice were there ever uh Was your job ever in danger as a staff man? It's an interesting leading question. <laughs> and I just, I and, know that, you know, sometimes sure. that happens. And uh... Listen, Danny, uh, Danny Rosen is like a, and many people say this about him, um, but he knows it differently as I know it differently. He's really like a, a first father to me, not even a second father. He's just really more like a first father to me. And it's interesting that Todd's name just came up because, um, uh, and we were talking before about collegiate week and being the last day of camp. So, uh, the last night of camp, um, when I was there in 2001, um, I should say the second to last night of camp, Todd went out and wasn't supposed to go out. I think it was his night in, he got caught, got called to the office. Then he said, don't do it again. And, um, the very last night of camp, he decided I'm going to do what I want to do. And sure. he did it again. He's owned up to it. Of course, uh, it, it, it took a long time coming, but he, I think last summer at the BPS got, got his, uh, you know, got his, paid his dues, if you will. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And he decided he was going to go out again. So he went out and our cabin was unsupervised and, or supervised, but just not to the point that it needed to be. Right. 7 a.m. the next morning over the loudspeaker, the staff from cabin 10, please report to the green room immediately, uh, which I think is now called maybe the chief's den or yes. something. Well, it's actually a different room. Different room, <clears throat> sure. Yeah, so that's why. So we all slowly march up to the uh, the office, and Danny asks who was supposed to be in last night, and Todd said me, and he said, where were you, know, were you in? And he said no, and he said, pack your bags, you're, you're done. And I said, you're going to fire him on the last day of camp, buddy. What do you mean? And why not just not let him come back next summer? If you fire him, I'm walking. I'm, there, there's no way. And you do not 
ever question authority. <laughs> and if that authority is Denny, you don't even whisper the question. You don't even whisper it in your own brain to yourself. And it was a something that, that I'm so thankful to Denny and for Denny that 15 years later, truthfully, I'm, I have an opportunity and had an opportunity to hug him, apologize for being a, a young little jackass who didn't realize the responsibility he had at the time that he would have to answer to 30 parents from the North Shore of, sure. why didn't you fire that counselor immediately? I didn't know any better and, right. and was just speaking, you know, like an idiot. And then he said, pack your bags with them. You're leaving too. Wow. And he called my bluff and uh, I packed my bags, unfortunately, and, and left uh, on a sour note that day with Denny and it being my fault without question, but at the time very hard headed sure. and, and felt he was wrong and whatnot. And, and, um, and, and Denny, uh, like I said, you know, it, it was extra tough because he was like a first father to me. And, um, and we, we had had such a tight bond, family bond, everything, um, for so long and, and having him absent or not having him in my life for, a good, you know, 15 years really, or just miniature visits here and there, the BPS trip, right. You know, Josh Waller, get his bachelor party up there. Mm -hmm. So I'd see Denny, but it wasn't the same kind of hug, you know, the, the same kind of love and the same kind of after I was, I was fired and sure. I was fired for the right reason. Uh, I was sticking up for the wrong person at the, who did the wrong thing. And we didn't realize it until, till years later in life. But the nice thing is about Ojibwa and, and the compassion that you find from people like Denny, Stu, all the way on Lodi, all the way on down the line, um, is, is, it's the land of second chances yeah. and nobody likes a comeback story. You know, everybody loves, excuse me, a comeback, good comeback story. And, and they really, they enable you to create that comeback story unless you've of course gone way over the line, which sure. has happened on occasion, sure. but 98% of the time I saw it when I was a camper where counselors were let go, brought back the next summer, maybe brought back the next week. Um, yeah. And that's, it's something you learn. It's a, it's a life lesson. It's like, you know, you, 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 you serve your time somewhat, some way or somehow. And if you do it right and respectfully, they're going to give you another opportunity. Sometimes you have to wait 15 years, <laughs> but it's been sure. well worth it. I have to say, I mean, I, I, I love the story and uh, it was my skip year, but I knew Todd from the year before. Um, obviously we crisscrossed, I didn't know mm -hmm. you, but, um, and so I knew that I knew that he was a little bit of a hothead in his own right at the mm -hmm. time, a little bit of a head case from time to time and, and stubborn. And, uh, I just, I, I love, I mean, I don't love that it happened, but it illuminates so many great things about camp. It's a story that's not unfamiliar for guys to be like, no, this is bullshit. I'm doing what I want to do yep. and I'm right. And they're not, but. You can't tell them, you know, you can't tell a guy that. And there's a million staff men who have been in that exact situation and, and, and a little tweak here and there. And it's the same exact thing. And sometimes they got fired and sometimes they didn't. But because they decided the right decision at the right time. But the fact that, uh, you know, decision was made. You guys uh, stood up and said, no, 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 this is bullshit. We're with him. And he's OK, fine. Then you go, too. And that time passes. And it took time and for all you guys and, mm -hmm. and Todd sat and said, you know, same thing. And, and he owns it and he apologized and he got it. And there came a point where his maturity caught up and he's like, Oh, I'm the asshole here. Mm -hmm. I get it. 
I get it. And when that time comes and you can finally get through that, camp goes, okay, doors are open again. 100%. And so to me, it's, it's, it really is. Like you said, everyone loves a good comeback story, but it's a beautiful story that illuminates so many of the great uh, lessons that happen with camp that are outside of the realm of camp. Absolutely. The big life lessons. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of that is, you, you know, it speaks to being loyal to camp and going back to camp because you can't learn these lessons. I mean, maybe you can learn them other places, but not the same way. Yeah. And it goes back to that, that line of you gotta, you really gotta feel it. You know, you gotta be there to, to understand it because it's otherwise it's just conversation, but you, you totally get it. And Todd, I know understands it. And I, I don't know where he got that hot head, hot headed cockiness from, Maybe a counselor who looked at him like a younger brother. And where did I get it from? My staff men, like the Darren Annixters of the world. And, you know, the, the circle keeps turning in a good way as well. So, Absolutely. Well, as you know, as we start to close things down, there's a couple of questions yes. at the end. So now, and I think we've just touched on some of it, but maybe you want to expound a little bit. How is camp influenced? How is your time at Camp Ojibwa previous to this year sure. influenced your life? Um, wow. I mean, that's a big question that I hear you ask everybody. And, and, um, my answer is not going to be much different than a lot of the answers I've heard. Uh, I mean, it it has had such a large impact in, in so many ways, I I guess to put it succinctly, if I can, um, every single job that I've had, and I mean, every single job that I've had, except for one, um, has been through an Ojibwe connection no matter what and it was there was no resume involved there's no it's just it's like uh it's like the mafia but without the killing or you know all the bad stuff <laughs> sure. it's you're vouching for a guy someone from Ojibwe vouched for me on many occasions i need a job they vouch done deal i just am coming right now on my lunch break from darren annexer's office in, in northbrook i didn't have to have anyone vouch for me because i was his camper yeah. and um same way so i mean it's just it's impacted my life in in terms of my work life having a job from somebody who's been connected to me through Ojibwa that that's one way my friendships guys like I said like a guy like Stuart Cairo who in 1987 you know or in 1992 was my cube mate in cabin 13 and I ended up being a groomsman at his wedding yeah um just you know all the way to the impact I'm feeling now where someone like Corey Fox, who was my cube mate when I was in cabin 14, whose son is going to be up there for prep camp. And I feel a responsibility to one of my long, you know, lifelong friends to make sure that his son fits in and has the same kind of time that, that we had when we were up there together. Yeah. So the impact that it's had on my life is still, you know, happening as we speak now. and, And in these next coming months, um, which is to impact my life, meaning um, I will hopefully be able to have that same kind of impact on my friends' kids' lives who are going to be up there now. Yeah, And it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing that uh, once you're in that mafia, if you will, or in that circle, you're in for life. Um, and and there, there are no boundaries of... of of where it can take you and what it can do for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, you know what's coming. Tell me one more great story. So, goodness, the last, uh, the I'll tell you, I, I've got a million, of course, like everyone says, and a lot of them certainly have to be told when the mic's off, but I'll tell you one story 
that took place during the off season. Actually, everyone tells their story that happened at camp. Well, my, my story happened with campers and with Danny Rosen himself, but it did not happen during camp. It actually happened, um, in April of, uh, I believe it was 1991 or 92. And Danny and Sandy used to come to my house for some of the, the, the holidays. Mm. Danny came over for Passover with Sandy as did Adam Carlove with his parents and his sister, as did Joey Blyman with his parents. And I don't think his brother was there, but we had a big crew there. Okay. And the Carloves, the Blymans, myself, the Rosens were all there, big table, 20 plus people. And um, during Passover, you're all reading out of a book and my dad's on one end of the table and he's leading the, the Seder, they call it. Mm-hmm. And Denny is of course at the other end of the table. Cause that's, that's where Denny would sit if, He's not going to be sitting at the head of the table. Sure. He's sitting at the other head of the table. Of course. And we didn't have cell phones back then, but I was messing around. I, Adam was sitting to my left. We were a few seats away from Denny, and I was messing around with um, our portable phone at home or whatever it was, and Denny's in the middle of reading. It was his turn to read, and he's in the middle of reading, and I'm under the table you know, kind of whispering to Adam real quietly or whatever, and out of nowhere, I mean, you know, it was just, Danny's just reading. He slams his book down. He goes, I'll finish when you're done being rude. <laughs> I, I mean, we, I'm, the, <laughs> my dog got silent. Like the, <laughs> the house, sure. the neighborhood got silenced. <laughs> I'll finish when you're done being rude. You know what voice I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. The decimal level is off the chart when he goes. The, the only, the silence was broken by Mrs. Karlov who looked at around at the table and she looked at my parents. She looked at her husband. She looked at Joey's parents and she said, it's worth every single penny that we spend every single summer <laughs> because we, we got dead silent. We apologized <laughs> and the, the phone was put away. There was no more messing around. And I think our parents realized that Denny had more control over us than they did. And that, that we were obviously learning respect and, and, when he spoke, we listened. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's a fantastic that's, story. That that's my story. God love him for for being a, being the person he is to be able to pull that off and do that and be right in the moment, but not not be hesitant to scream at the top of his lungs in someone else's house. <laughs> awesome. There's my story. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming out. This has been amazing. It's been awesome. Thank you, thank sir. You much appreciated. Cannot wait for this summer. Thank you. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Jeff Kaplan. Very funny stories. Great classic stories. He did, in fact, tell me who the culprit of the one sock story was. Unbelievable. You do know who you are, and uh, kudos to you, sir. Kudos. As always, if you want to get in touch with the Camp Ojibwe History Project, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at org. Or stop by the website, www.campojibahistory.org. If you do, you are going to see that the bricks of fame are back up. The original bricks have been installed. The first round of bricks have been installed. They look fantastic. We had the BPS guys here this weekend. They were checking them out. And what we discovered is there's a lot more spaces. And we should find a way to get some more names in there and be a part of this. So the bricks of fame project is back up. 
You can click on it right from the homepage there at campojibbohistory.org and pick up your commemorative brick. It'll go right there at the Collegiate Week bench. And speaking of the bench, it's a beautiful day outside. I'm heading to have a cigar. 